Here we are. All Uncle Wiggly's, please return to Uncle Wiggly's bungalow and start over. What? Get out of here, liar. It does not say that. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to hear Mike say, what liar? <laughs> it worked. <laughs> perfection. Perfect. My plan worked perfectly. <laughs> Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we dodge calamity as we race our custom big rigs through space in Galaxy Trucker. Next up, we trade and travel along the Silk Road by camel and ship in the voyages of Marco Polo. And lastly, we help a poor old rheumatic rabbit to Dr. Possum's office in Uncle Wiggly. I'm your host, Celeste Angelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. I'm Evan Bernstein, and which game first is always on my mind. I'm Ed Povolitis, and this is your mind on game. I'm Joe Unfried, and, well, I guess that's that. I'm Mike Grenier, and age is a case of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. Hey, Mike, do you know what Patreon is? It's the uh, red part inside of an olive, right? So close. Actually, it's a way for our listeners to support the show for just $3 a month. And when you become a supporter, you get exclusive content and perks like shout outs on the podcast, a free promo spot, and Discord dates. Those are live chats with WGF panelists. Just go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. Our first game up this week is Galaxy Trucker, designed by Vlada Havadal, published by CGE, Czech Games Edition, in 2007. The version we played was the CGE Rio Grande Games 2nd Edition, 2008. Number of players 2 to 4, ages 10 and up, runtime is 60 minutes. Ed had a copy of this game, and I was immediately interested. This game starts when you throw a bunch of spaceship parts into the middle of your table. And because the game makers do not want you to get radiation poisoning from fuel cells or scratch the surface of your fine custom mahogany gaming table, the ship parts are merely represented by pictures on tiles. They're placed face down in the center and all players will share this community warehouse of parts to build their ship. Each player is given a personal game board of an empty ship schematic to build on. All at once, players flip the tiles over and decide whether or not to use them to build their ship. Once all the ships are built, the players take off, trucking across space, trying to avoid calamity and get some cargo to a buying port before everyone else. I brought this game to the table because the name is awesome. Yeah. Hey, sometimes you don't need a deep reason to want to play a game. All of us but Mike were at the table. Ed, what did you think of the game? It's a different kind of race game, where it's fun to see if your truck will actually make it through the track. Joe, how about you? It starts as a spaceship building game. After that, it becomes a fast-paced race game filled with opportunities that are full of surprises and disasters with even bigger surprises. <laughs> Surprise! Evan, how about you? Galaxy Truckers. I felt like a Galaxy Teamster. Hey, yous, move your freaking afterburners. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike, how about you? Custom big rigs, space junk deliveries, uh, seems worth a look to me. <laughs> wow, I was not prepared for the desperate, violent occupation of deep space trucking. <laughs> One is lucky to get out with half your crew and a shambles of a torn up ship hobbling into spaceport with any cargo left at all. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. You have, you should 
build your ship with the idea that you're going to lose a lot of these components yes. on the ship before yeah. you make it to the end. Oh, uh, redundancy is a good thing. Yes. <laughs> is, is there like a duct tape item in this game so you can put your ship back together? Uh, I know. No, no, it's like, la, 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 here I go. I'm going to build my ship. I'm going to truck it across space. I'm going to deliver it. Oh, no. That is not what's going to happen to you and your ship. Half of my ship is still on the launching pad. If the ship is broken into two pieces, you decide which piece you will pilot to your destination and which piece will be lost. Everybody on board! Okay, everyone ship to the starboard! Starboard, everyone! Starboard quick! <laughs> wow, it's that chaotic, huh? Yeah, it's crazy. And if you if you've never played before and you just hear somebody read you the rules or you know, you just review the rules, you really don't know what to expect. Like it does not prepare you for the horrors of space. <laughs> not at all. And until you've played, you really don't know how to ideally build your ship. Do you have enough lasers to shoot asteroids that are heading your way? Do you have enough thrust to get you to the front of the pack in order so you can collect the goodies off the planets We have the first choice at them? Mm-hmm. Or do you have enough cargo spots or do those get blown away and you wind up taking the trip for absolutely nothing oh, in oh, the man. end? <laughs> oh, it's frustrating. Now, would you say you guys have like enough control over this chaos to feel like you're actually affecting it or is it just total random wildness yeah once you build a ship once as evan said once you get to like the second or third round you you can take control because you start to build your ship according to what you know to expect so it's no surprise that ed won the first round because he was the <laughs> only one who knew exactly. how horrible it was <laughs> gonna knew get what to expect yeah. <laughs> right but they did it pretty well the first round of it is actually a short and almost like a, a tutorial in a way you make a small ship it, yeah. it kind of gives you a sampling of each of the different kind of conflicts you might encounter along the way and um you can look at most of the cards that are going to show up later if you spend time looking at the cards. But the time looking at you spend looking at the cards is time you're not building the ship. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, looking at the cards to me seems like something only a real veteran would would even bother doing because <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, once you know all of the threats that are out there. You just have to do your best to build a modicum of a ship that could possibly defend. And the way you build the ship is you're flipping over tiles in the center and you're looking at the tile. It could be a set, just a set of twisted pipes that are going to connect one thing to another, or it could be a specialty cabin to carry your alien crew, or it could be rockets uh, to propel your ship or lasers. In a lot of ways, it's like a Tetris game. Because you have to connect them in just the right way, and they have to be positioned right. Like, you can't put your laser guns behind your cabin. You'll shoot your cabin up. You have to put them on the front of your ship. So imagine you're in the warehouse, and you're packing your ship with all, you know, you're, you're quickly, mechanically attaching everything to your ship and getting it ready to go. And then you hear the first spaceship fire up and head out, and you're like, whoa, I got to get on the road. So you slap <laughs> your ship together haphazardly and get out as fast as you can. Yes. Yep. Basically. <laughs> you're also lo- looking 
looking for that last piece. It's a community pile. Everybody's pulling from the same pile of parts. And you need that one tile with the right bend to the left or the right that needs the exact perfect connector. And you're not finding it. And that delays you. And that's why everybody left before you. Yeah. (laughs) One of those last minute gunfights in the junkyard, you know, over the over the last (laughs) the last air tank. Sometimes you don't want to you don't want to build a perfect ship. Sometimes you want to build a ship that's just good enough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you've built your ship. Okay. You've launched your everyone's out. You're ready to go. Before you actually start drawing cards for encounters and things, all your ships have to go through inspection to make sure they are legal. Oh, yes. So, yeah, some people might make mistakes when they're building the thing. Oh, yeah. And that can get horrifyingly ugly. (laughs) If you you make a, a mistake and it's checked in um, inspection and it's wrong, you have to take that piece out and every piece that's attached to it and cannot stay oh, man. has to go. Yes, you could lose a whole chunk of your ship before you even start. I see. I've actually designed two ships that are parked too close together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, before you even get out of port, things could go wrong. Wow, I love it. So this game is more about the calamity than the delivery part, it seems like. Yeah, it's definitely about the desperate nature of of space trucking. Yeah. (laughs) But you were asking originally, Mike, if, uh, if you felt prepared. The crux of the game is preparing yourself for the calamities. Occasionally, you're going to have asteroids you have to deal with or pirates. Pirates in space? Yes, space pirates. Of course, Evan. Come on. Space pirates. (laughs) The theme wasn't just a skin. Alien attacks, meteor swarms, visiting Mm -hmm. spooky abandoned ships or planets was a huge part of the game. I felt it the whole time. And, and I like the way the designer uh, does the rule book. Every time in all of his games, there's a lot of humor r- built right into the rule book itself. It's it's a fun read. Yes, that definitely helps a lot. I was I, It was exciting to listen to comedy coming out of Ed's mouth while he's reading the rules. And Ed <laughs> usually gets so annoyed with us because we're blathering on and on while he reads the rules. Yeah. It was nice to see some level of humor from him. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of pieces in this game, obviously. The pieces were great. And they had such, they had a, a good variety of them. Yeah, I like the little, uh, the crew meeples they have were really good. I like how the aliens exist in this game and they're important, but they're not super exotic and they're not run of the mill either. They're just kind of traditional space aliens. Yeah. I, I like how you've got to crowd them all onto these, onto these little tiles. And, and it's so you can sort of, you know, feel about how cramped it probably is in there and mm-hmm. maybe how tempers can flare in some of those, <laughs> one of those places. Yeah. Um, the pieces were really high quality, very nicely molded. The tiles to build your ship were nice and heavy. The boards that had the schematics, everything looked great. The art was really good. It was cartoony, but not too cartoony. It it had just enough element of humor and specificity to the objects it was representing. I like the numbers going along the edges of your ship on there. It made the determination of random elements very simple. I like the way the, the complexity scale with the the first round ship being small and then the next round they get a little bit bigger and then for the last round they make the really big ship. And uh, boy, oh boy, when we got to that last phase and tried to build that big ship, it was nerve-wracking. <laughs> Ooh, boy. And then I think Ed flipped the timer over first mm-hmm. and <laughs> scrambling to build that last ship. Holy cow. I was really stuck for pieces. 
Wow, that's an interesting like time shift that you do in that game. It sounds like you're in one round, it's frantic, and then the next part you're kind of planning something out. So you like, mm-hmm. how did it feel to like shift gears like that? It was a definite gear shift. You you go from the building to okay, I'm out here in space. And one thing you have another factor that you have to consider when you're in space is the order of the trucks. Hmm. So the the space trucks go in an order. The first person to finish gets to go first. But sometimes being first, meaning ahead of everyone else in space, mm-hmm. is not an advantage because you're oh, the first no. one into the meteor swarm. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You might be or- the first one to find the abandoned spaceship where you can pick up some cars. But you also might be the first into the meteor storm. Yeah, first is not always best. You have to find cargo out there because you don't actually leave space dock with any cargo. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> He's picking up random junk along the way. Yep. Yeah, kind of. That's sort of it. And those asteroids, oh man, big asteroids, small asteroids, they start bombarding you, and that's it might hang on for dear life because you know you're about to lose a good chunk of your ship at that point. <laughs> so well, many clever elements with with like tradi- callbacks to traditional space adventures that we all know like the game asteroids the asteroid swarm yes very much like the asteroid game they yeah. come in from different directions and your ship just gets it you can depending almost hear on the which, music yeah you can almost hear the music it's it's great there are great callbacks you know investigating the spooky abandoned ship how many times have we seen that in television and movies and, and a cool part of the theme is that actually the ship you're building is what you're transporting for Corp Incorporated. Corp Incorporated. Corp Incorporated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Clever name. That's why you get fined if you lose pieces along the way, because you're supposed to bring those pieces with right. you. <laughs> That's right. And beware of those fines, because they could add up. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you got to tell your, you got to tell whatever crew survived how much they made or <laughs> how much they owe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. And it's usually best to email them that information rather than tell them in person. <laughs> A space email. (laughs) If you have any questions about it, you can space Google it. Okay, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Galaxy Trucker. Ed, how about you? Dig it up. Building ships is almost as fun as seeing a ship epically crash on a route. (laughs) Evan, how about you? Oh, dig it up. This game is so replayable. Lots of bang for the buck with this game. And Joe, how about you? This game is shiny with lots of replay value. In later stages, you get new chance to mix it up with new options in spaceship design of wide or narrow, and it'll have you seeing imaginary angels and applying the cortical electrodes. (laughs) Mike, how about you? Um, I didn't play it, so I'm going to hold my judgment, but I have a feeling that I would dig it up. Yeah, now that I have adjusted my thinking to embrace the gritty setting of this game, (laughs) I am ready for more hard scrabble space adventure. Dig it up. Yes. This game can be found online. I've seen it as cheap as 40. It tends to run around 50. There's also an app with this game on iTunes. Oh, oh, great. Cool. Oh, wow. Nice. Is it a full game? It's a full game. It's done a little bit differently, but it's called Galaxy Trucker Pocket. So cool. If you have thoughts about Galaxy Trucker, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Our next game up this week is The Voyages of Marco Polo, designed by Simone Luciani and Danielle Tashini, published by Z-Man Games and Hans M. Gluck, 2015. Number of players, 2 to 4, ages 13 and up. Runtime, 20 to 25 minutes per player. Ed, you brought this game to the table. Where did you find it? 
As is a common theme for me, I picked this game up at Gen Con. Now, when you pick games up at Gen Con, do you just sort of peruse game tables or what usually catches your eye? It's it kind of like a kid in a candy shop. I mean, it's, really, <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah. ooh, shiny. Can't have just one. Yeah, it's a mega <laughs> hall full of games being displayed and played. Oh, my God. A smorgasbord. So Ed comes prepared with the disposable income. <laughs> That's why sometimes it's good to drive all the way out to Indianapolis from here because this way I can bring the hall back. Yeah, you have a couple <laughs> empty suitcases for games that you're going to buy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right, so tell us a little bit about how it's played. You are associates of Marco Polo, trying to collect points by completing contracts and visiting many cities as possible. Each turn, players use the dice they rolled to perform one of several actions, which include taking a contract, going to the bazaar, getting the con's favor, getting gold, or traveling. The first player to reach the city will earn discounts, and each city offers a special ability, which may help you reach the next city or complete a contract. After five rounds, the game ends, and the player with the most points wins. And why did you bring this game to the group? It's a different take on a worker placement type game, using dice as your workers and actions. And the theme history, I think, would be interesting for this panel to explore. Interesting. Well, everyone was at the table but me for this game. Evan, what did you think of it? Look at all those colorful dice. That alone made me want to dive right in. (laughs) Joe, how about you? You can always use more camels. (laughs) I thought I'd love the part where you get to play different historical figures, each with their own unique advantages. But the game itself was so engaging, I'm sure it would have been fine without that. And Mike, how about you? More camels. I never have enough camels. (laughs) That's true. Ed, how about you? Oh, you roll your dice. How quaint. For Rashid al-Din Sinar, the dice take whatever form it needed. (laughs) (laughs) My criteria for this style of Euro game is theme must significantly inform play. So I'm very curious to hear how this one did. I think the characters and the abilities they had went a long way to determine your strategy. And it also made you have a feel of what that character was supposed to be doing in that time period. Okay. I think I think that's exactly correct. I think the character you play has certain advantages or disadvantages, if you want to look at it that way, and becomes the compass by which you're going to guide yourself through this game. For example, the character I played, brother of Marco Polo, I can't quite remember his name, but in any case... Frank Polo. But yeah, Joey Polo. <laughs> and, <laughs> Joey Polo! And jo- Joey Polo. Joey Polo, I like that. Matteo. He would be able to have access to extra contracts, which did not involve my my character having to move around the map as much as the other characters did. So I just sort of sat there for the most part and built contracts and was not too heavily involved in having to move. That's one of the things I really liked about the game, because each of the characters gave you a, a very different asymmetric ability. Like Mikey's ability was he was able to stop a city just by moving right through them. He didn't even need to stay there. We had mm-hmm. to stop at a city to do something cool there. He just, he can try to he can hit three cities in the same turn if he got enough movement. Okay, so they were all actual historical figures. Uh, yeah. So you're saying that it's not just your run-of-the-mill special ability. Each person gets to have a slightly different tweak. These were really huge differences between characters. Is that right? They're significant, yes. 
almost like you're playing a different game. Like your game has separate rules. You move completely differently than everyone else. Is it always movement based? You break a set of rules. There's a rule that you don't have to pay attention to. Think of it that way. Each one had a very significant specialty to them. Yeah, right. Like I was saying, the special abilities you have pretty much guide your strategy because they're so strong. Interesting. But that's not the only place where you can get uniqueness. Each of the cities have a special ability. So which cities you visit will get you access to different abilities as well. So Ed alluded to his character having better control of the dice. So what is the what do the dice do for you? Okay, well, each of the locations uh, on the board, there are different actions you can do. If you go to the bazaar, you can get different goods. The dice you use on that location will determine how many goods you get. You alle- literally allocate your dice to different actions. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Each of your dice is an action you can use. So the more dice you use on, on one location, the less actions you're going to have at other places. So does each person get their own color set of dice? Okay. Yes, cool. they do. That's cool. And it matches their meeples that they move around the board? Show sure does. Very cool. That is very helpful and makes the game more fun to look at. Yeah. Yeah, it must be a huge visual help. It is. Yeah. Ed getting to manipulate his dice uh, makes me question the balance of the different characters. Interesting. <laughs> Every single die, he could make yeah. it a six and get the highest valued goods in that category or jump ahead of somebody in a different category. So. Well, I did start with 10 victory points out of the gate. Right. But the uh, the big another difference is the, it's not always good to have a six. Yeah, though. but you can make it a two no. if you need it to. <laughs> right, true. You can make it any number you want. I well, but only a one in six chance of getting the same. Yeah. go for it Evan I want to see somebody else suffer under the freaking weight of the dice (laughs) this game is one where it's going to take time to really get good at definitely I think the first playthrough you're going to get a a feel for how the game is playing and it'll do a lot better next time the color uh, on the art looks really nice. The colors of the board and the map where you go from city to city on the board looks really cool. Now, I see this game has coins. Um, it looks like they're cardboard, but at least they're shaped like coins. I think all the components are really well done. The map looked like the kind of map that someone might have drawn at the time, not some fancy scholar working directly for a noble or something, but the kind of map a merchant would have made. Expect to lose four camels on this journey from here to there. Oh, cool. Right. Yeah, that's what the camels did, actually, is they, uh, some yeah. of the journeys will tell you you're going to oh. lose three of your camels, so you need to spend three camels to make it past this road. And it's not just camels, Celeste. It's money. You need money. some of these places to get to. You need a lot of money in order yeah. to be able yeah. to get to these towns. Yeah, and my character was based on traveling, so I had to spend a lot of time earning money in camels to make my strategy work. You're going to need that money for the yeah. th- you know, uh, I mean, the toll keepers, you <laughs> the know. captains. Well, that's kind of realistic if you when you consider the crazy distance barriers. Of course, it would, it would have been very expensive in those times to yeah. move around. So it's accurate. Yeah, there's actually a lot of uses for the camel. You can also use them to modify your die roll. Yep, that's true. Yeah. Well, you don't have to, but well, I didn't have could. to. <laughs> well, I mean, the rest of your slobs, good. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the camels make the game. You know, I mean, how do you take a game about exotic trading from like pageantry of Venice to the heart of the Golden Horde and still get that kick the tires feeling where you remember dancing drunk at midnight by a refreshing stream and then waking up in a desert sandstorm hung over and wondering where the bathroom is? Camels, man. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, 
Who else do you crouch behind for cover from the bandits' arrows? And who else can you always swear at without risking the nasty surprise that they understand whatever language you're speaking? And and who else do you share your fleas with? Who wants camel for breakfast? Those are questions that don't need answers. The mere fact that I'm asking them explains why I routinely turn down cheap silk in favor of getting that 16th camel. Because you spend them like water because they're fungible. <laughs> they're the de facto currency. That is fantastic. (laughs) Um, The game also has a hidden agendas, which I didn't think were really compelling, but they did kind of drive the direction you wanted to travel in. Um, Everybody has two cards and it tells you a couple different cities that you want to put a trading post up and to get some bonus victory points. Yeah, they sort of forced me to travel in places I otherwise probably would Mm -hmm. not have gone at all. I I I was trying to set up these two trade routes. And it was all about having enough camels to, you know, sacrifice into the mill, you know, to in order <laughs> Camel mill. to link those those two pairs of cities. And they weren't even that far apart. Oh, yeah. Some of the locations were hard to go to. Yeah. And there are actual meeples to represent camels in this game, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They look like camels. It's great. So it sounds to me like the trade elements of this game were very grabby. How did you feel about the actual getting victory points? Well, there's many different ways to get victory points. Like me and Evan focused on doing contracts. Like I didn't really visit that many cities because I wanted to get as many contracts as possible because they were easy for me to solve. Yeah, much easier for Ed to do with the dice he doesn't have to roll. (laughs) So focusing on contracts is one way. What's another way? My character's victory condition was to travel to 12 different cities and put up a trading post in each one, and I'll get 10 bonus victory points, which is pretty big. Ah, So I actually wanted to move around the board a lot more. Right. For most people, they would have only gotten 10 victory points for going to nine different cities. But if he got to 12 different cities, he would have gotten 20 victory points. Whoa. Ah, yeah. Yeah, it's huge. So Mike was a traveling fool. Yeah, I missed it by one turn. I couldn't get those camels, man. <laughs> camels. <laughs> those well, camels. I was short one camel to get my 20 victory There points. really is. I mean, it's not feasible to expect that you're going to get to every place. Yeah, I came darn close. Camels, man. Camels. <laughs> it's all about them camels. All right. It's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury the voyages of Marco Polo. Joe, how about you? Uh, This is a digger-upper. It's a part of history that you don't experience in every game. It seems reasonably accurate, but more importantly, it's really immersive. And Mike, how about you? I said a lot of bad things about this game, but uh, it's good-looking, has a variety of strategies, and I definitely want to play it again, so I say dig it up. And Evan, how about you? The game looks intimidating because there's lots of parts, cards, dice, coins, and such, but it actually plays faster than expected, it is a fun game. Let's dig it up. Ed? Dig it up. It's a well-designed Euro with well-integrated theme and mechanics. Well, based on what you guys said, it does seem to meet my criteria for theme. The camels did sound fun. So uh, I'm going to withhold judgment. Uh, sounds interesting, though. Ed, where can you find it? The game is generally available at your local and online game stores. And it runs for about $60 MSRP. And if you have thoughts about the voyages of Marco Polo, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. And our last game up this week is Uncle Wiggly, designed by Howard R. Garris, published by Milton Bradley in 1916, but the edition we played was Parker Brothers, 1967. Number of players, two to four, ages four and up, runtime, 30 minutes. Mike, you brought this baby to the table. Where'd you find it? 
Well, my lovely girlfriend was feeling nostalgic thinking about games she played in the past, and she ordered this one online. Ooh. Uh, thank you, lady friend. Thank you, lady friend. And tell us a little bit about how it's played. In Uncle Wiggly, you play the game's namesake, a gentlemanly rabbit with rheumatism. Your goal is to hop 151 spaces to Dr. Possum's office for a cure to your ailment, avoiding pitfalls along the way. Players draw cards with rhymes and instructions on how many spaces to hop. Occasionally, they're directed to another deck with further instructions. The first player to reach Dr. Possum wins. <laughs> That's right. You heard me right. Yeah. Yeah. Celeste, why weren't you there? Wait, where... Wait. <laughs> Wait, where are the specific criteria for victory points? There's no victory points in this game. You just got to get to Dr. Possum and he'll fix everything. Where do you trade your materials for other materials? <laughs> Wait, I don't have to trade two cinnamon what? for one huh? silk or something? Uh, nope, just get to Dr. Possum. Where are the camels? Zero camels to get to Dr. Possum. Where are the victory point markers? Where are the profiles with advantages and disadvantages for each one individually? Where are the additional instructions on the back of the box? <laughs> there are no instructions on the back of the box. It's empty. Where are the tiles that I flip over to get the rig that I'm going to need to take <laughs> Uncle Wiggly to the doctor? Nothing. But you do have a rabbit-shaped pawn. Oh, everyone but me was at the table to play this game. <laughs> I really sense heartbreak in my future. That must be frustrating. Mike, why'd you bring this game to the group? I thought it'd be fun to play a game from long, long ago to see what kids were being exposed to back then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ed, what did you think? It's a basic race game without dice and tell the story along the way. Evan, how about you? You know what to do when the turn comes to you. Two hops for you if this game you get through. <laughs> Joe, how about you? It's a basic race game filled with horrifying mutant animals from the English countryside lying in wait to eat you. <laughs> yeah. And you know, <laughs> just like Frank Herbert didn't actually design the Dune game, which I liked, I think maybe this game should have been designed by someone other than the character's original creator. Mike, how about you? Rheumatism? This is a game for kids? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> Start them early. Oh, man. Everything you guys are saying makes me want to play this game right now. Oh, yeah. And I just want to say one thing. I was looking at the board. What is a Sisawa? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm actually. I'm still asking myself that. It's funny that you asked. So there's a couple of creatures in this game which harken way back to 1916 when this little book was written. Um, one of them is called the Skeezix. Uh -huh. um, it's a skinny mm -hmm. crow. Uh, <laughs> and it's it looks really terrifyingly thin and it eats you, I guess, or tries to eat you. And there's another creature called the Bad Pip Sisiwa. It's supposed to be a rhino in the books, but it kind of looks like a wolf. With rhino tusks on his snout. Probably some weird metaphor for, you know, mustard gas or the influenza epidemic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dude, that's like a dark turn. <laughs> yeah. This game looks like it's ripe for dark turns. Oh, it and is. The whole board looks like one bad trip. This is right out of a Lewis Carroll novel. If you guys have heard of Boardwalk Empire, it's uh, in the t shot in the 20s. And uh, uh, one of the characters calls his son Skeezix. 
I'm like, wow, was that like a popular insult or something back then? And apparently it came from these books in this game. You know, this game is all about the biggest ripoff since Uncle Wiggly was released on an unsuspecting world by Howard Garris in 1910. It's all about rheumatism, a fake disease totally manufactured by Big Pharma. It's a hopelessly backward, antiquated term with only the most generalized specious connection to a vague set of symptoms. It's like lumbago or the sniffles. It doesn't really exist. Doc Possum's probably just been giving him some exotic-tasting Japanese whiskey mixed with some laudanum he got from rifling the pockets of a passed-out Edgar Allan Poe when he stumbled over him on the docks of Baltimore. I didn't think Dr. Possum looked like he was going to cheat people. He looked pretty friendly. I don't know. I don't I don't trust him. <laughs> Let's see your medical license, you quack. <laughs> Wait, what? So, str- so strong feelings about this game from the players. It brought out the best and worst of us. <laughs> I mean, my strong feelings about this game were the same as I have about any terrible race game. You know, <laughs> it's backwards movement. You get stuck for two turns in different places. You're inches away from winning, and then you get a card that sends you back halfway across the board. You have to get the exact number to win, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which delays the game almost indefinitely. Ten spaces and lose one time. Wow. Yeah. Time spaces and Such is life in the oh and these weasels lose another turn. I'm in the mouth of another creature. I am down two turns. I just just a question, Mike. Is your lady friend ninety-five years old? (laughs) Her grandmother brought this game out for her when she was little. And she remembers like all the great choices she got to make, which is basically the one choice that's a (laughs) no-brainer. So as a kid, she loved this game. She loved this game as a kid, loved it. It was, wow. you know, it, was, it was her early exposure to board games. So it's like Candyland, you know, like I, re- I have <laughs> fond memories of Candyland, which if I was to look at it today, it's a horrible game. It's <laughs> terrible. Yeah. But as a kid, you feel like you're progressing and you're doing yeah. something, you know, and you have an effect on this world. It inspires a very weird, specific setting. It's a dreamscape. Yeah. Just like Candyland. You kind of feel like you went down the rabbit hole and you haven't left. It really solidifies in your memory because it's con- Connections are specific to only it. Oh, so yeah. you, yeah. so it, it stays sort of frozen in amber in your brain. <laughs> You're not going to get that anywhere else. It's a squatter on some of the lesser used paths of your neural network. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> in that precious developmental stage of five and six years old. When you're making that illusion that you're accomplishing something, I think kids of a certain age like to see wild turns of fortune where during the anticipated length that the game is supposed to be, most or all of the players get to go forward to first place at least briefly during a typical game. And that might have made it more pleasing for kids. Yeah, for adults, you're like, oh, it's not really well balanced. But for a kid, I moved ahead 20 spaces and you only moved ahead one space. That is raw joy. Ed was uh, in last place for most of this game. Oh, yeah. And did he win? Uh, Yes, he did. (laughs) Of course. As I predicted, as I predicted, he won. But I think we were all in first place at one time or another. I think that might be true, yeah. Which is great for kids. Like, everybody gets a shot at the glory before, (laughs) you know, it's not a slow grind. It's not a slow build. Everybody is, is having their moment in the sun. Yeah. 
And plus you get to get eaten by weird creatures on the board. Make room for the Sisuwa in your <laughs> yeah. memory, kids. Scarred for life as you're eaten alive by the Skizix. Remember that for the rest of your life. The Sisuwa's a coming. Predating Darth Vader for your bad guy, the Sisuwa. Yeah. Enjoy those nightmares, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, uh, yes. one of the mechanics I know you loved about this game was that there's two different decks of cards. There's the white cards and the red cards. Yep. To move like or to hop across the board, instead of rolling dice, you draw from a deck of cards that have a little rhyme that tells you how far to move. Oh, the, that sounds so cool. It's cute. But um, all some of the cards just say, draw a card from the other deck. And the other deck has cards that are exactly like the first deck you drew from. They do <laughs> the exact so same function. So it's pointless <laughs> to have a second deck, except for I think little kids would find it fun to, oh, I go to the special deck. Yeah. And it's just yeah. a different color, yeah. but it does the same exact thing. Fewer red cards than white cards that makes them special. There were oh. for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, this is a game of illusions on all levels, yeah. including the, il- <laughs> the illusion of, of this multifaceted aspect of this game. Too. Illusion of the exploration, illusion of choice. You know, illusion it, of danger. <laughs> it fools all the senses. Kids love the illusion of danger. Yeah, they do. It's time to decide whether or not to dig up or marry Uncle Wiggly. Evan, how about you? A children's game with no strategy. I think the game plays you more than you play the game. Uncle Wiggly is dead and it's time to be buried. Joe, how about you? Uh, On its own merit, seen through the eyes of most 21st century adult board gamers, it is a barrier, though it seemed to have pretty good production values for a game manufactured so long ago, if you care about that sort of thing. Ed, how about you? If you have kids in the four to six range you want to uh, imprint on, uh, yeah, maybe, but barrier otherwise. (sighs) Mike, how about you? I think the best part of this game was the weirdness of the theme and just kind of a look back in history. Uh, For adults, I have to say bury it, but for a little kid, meh, maybe dig it up. Wow, I'm so sad I missed this game. Like Eddie Cantor, what a great snapshot of the weirdness, (laughs) of the weirdness of pop culture of the time Uh, of just how weird pop culture could get at the time. Um, I do... Jeez, I suspect it would have been a dig up for me, but I will withhold judgment uh, since I didn't play it. Mike, where can you find this game? You can get it online in a bunch of different places with a variety of prices between 10 bucks and 50 bucks, depending on the edition and its condition. And if you have thoughts about Uncle Wiggly, and I sure hope you do, we are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We would love to hear from you. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you're doing. Follow us on your favorite social media. We're at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Become a patron through Patreon. Just go to our website and click on the Become a Patron link. If you get a chance, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. Join our chat on our Discord server at Which Game First, and our Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels. Okay, game explorers, roll those dice, draw those cards, stack those cubes. Happy gaming, everybody. Happy gaming. You look marvelous. Goodbye. Thanks for spending time with us. <laughs> <laughs>